when being sick was fun? As an adult, it's a lot less enjoyable, but as a kid, you could stay home from school and get spoiled and have grilled cheese sandwiches and tomato soup and be wrapped up all warm and cozy, and maybe, if you were lucky, you might even get a story read to you. Stories are important. That's why there are so many kinds and so many ways of telling them, including through documents. Documents come in lots of shapes and sizes and forms, reports and charts, maps, statistics. They all have their purposes and intents and could all be useful individually or together to describe, for example, the adoption of a new teaching method or the spread of a new virus. What about a quilt? Can a quilt be a document? Well, sure it can. They often record the stories of individuals and families, communities, events, and histories. By their very nature, they're assemblies of various materials, and it's a very old form. The earliest known patchwork textiles go back at least 5,000 years, and the word patchwork as a metaphor goes back at least 400 in English. One quilt, the largest of its kind, in fact, so large it will likely never again be intact, has documented its subject in a way so vivid, so undeniable, so real, it helped to change the way many people perceived an unknown and frightening disease. A document that changed the world, the Names Project AIDS Memorial Quilt, started in San Francisco by Cleve Jones, 1987. I'm Joe Janes of the University of Washington Information School. It isn't entirely clear when HIV first made its way to humans. There's some evidence it could have been as early as the late 19th century, though documented individual cases of death seem to appear around 1959. Public attention wasn't focused until larger numbers of cases occurred in urban areas, and the name AIDS wasn't officially put into use by the CDC until 1982. Once it did hit the popular consciousness, though, it cut a huge swath particularly since so little was known about it and because the earliest, largest concentrations of cases were found in specific, often marginalized populations, Haitian immigrants, hemophiliacs, intravenous drug users, and gay men. At a candlelight vigil in San Francisco in 1985, already the site of hundreds of deaths, names of victims were carried on placards and then assembled on a wall, bringing to mind a patchwork quilt. And thus, in a moment, the idea was born. Cleve Jones, the March organizer, made the first panel for his friend Marvin Feldman in 1986, and the idea spread rapidly. An organization was formed, and by October of 1987, nearly 2,000 panels were displayed on the National Mall in Washington, where it was viewed by half a million people. In 1989, the project was nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize, the same year a film about it, won the Academy Award for Best Documentary Feature. You know you've arrived when Miss America accompanies you down Pennsylvania Avenue in a presidential inaugural parade, in this case for Bill Clinton's first inaugural in 1993. The quilt continues to grow. It now comprises over 48,000 panels representing more than 94,000 names. Each panel is 3 by 6 feet, roughly the size of a grave. If fully assembled, it would cover 1.3 million square feet, about 30 acres, and weigh 54 tons. 
As new panels are submitted, they're now photographed, and a database of those photographs, along with additional material, such as letters and biographies, is being maintained. This leads to the inevitable challenge of description and organization. Each panel receives a unique code number, but given the multiple kinds of people who are interested, art historians, quilters, researchers, students, not to mention people just looking for an individual name, there will have to be considerable attention paid to appropriate metadata to facilitate search going forward. There's also a significant need for conservation and preservation efforts. As the panels are moved and displayed in various parts of the country, they're exposed to light, heat, moisture, dirt, bugs, and who knows what else, not to mention they're being handled all the time. And the materials themselves have special and diverse needs. Think about how you might keep all of the following safe and intact. Every kind of fabric and textile you can imagine, from lace to mink to suede to bubble wrap and metal, gems, clothing, hair, wedding rings, cremation ashes, jockstraps, condoms, bowling balls, and the inevitable feathers and sequins. The goals of the project include memory, awareness, education, and fundraising, most of which are inherently difficult to assess, though its scale and reach are clear. It has inspired other similar memorials for those killed in Iraq in action, victims of the 9-11 attacks, other diseases, even virtual memorial quilts. It's also inevitably political. Having started in a time of growing and evolving activism, which was often confrontational in nature, and people in some quarters have criticized the quilt project as not provocative enough. The quilt has several examples of intriguing features as a document. It may never be finished, and if it was, how and when would we know? It also has no single inherent structure or order. The blocks of panels could be connected in an infinite number of ways, each equally effective and authentic. As it almost certainly will never be fully assembled again, it exists only, exclusively, in fragmentary, federated form, a collective enterprise not only in construction and maintenance, but also in configuration. You might even say it now functions more as a collection than a single item, never fully intact, but bounded and defined and distributed, thereby increasing the possibility for impact. Perhaps, though, the most satisfying and genuine explanation of its power is the simplest. It's a quilt. The individual panels are objects of love, loss, pain, remembrance, and hope. And like any quilt, it's a symbol of comfort and warmth and home for those who have gone and for those who remain.